I'm just going to backtrack and hit you with stuff you already know, but that way we bring us up to snuff on this. Uh, am I in your way? We can slide that more if you need to. Okay, Revelation, the best way to look at Revelation, and I was thinking about this today, it's really a revealing or an unveiling. That's really what it is. It, it, it's a book that reveals to us somewhat previously unrevealed information. And now it's going to go, is it quarter of them? behind at seven, we're going to hear seven booms, too. Okay, so it's a revealing. But, but what's really interesting here, and, and I guess I, I probably didn't stress this before when we were together, but I want to stress it now because there are so many ways to get bogged down in the book of Revelation. There's just so many ways to do that. And one thing I'd like us to remember as we go through this, and again, I apologize for not emphasizing this the first time when we were together before the summer, is that <coughs> Revelation is the unveiling of the person, the power, and the program of God. Now, we can, we can debate some of this stuff, what is that program, mm -hmm. but these, these are not debatable. It is about the person of Jesus Christ. That's really what the book reveals to us. And it reveals to us his power. And it's, we'll get into this a little bit in detail, but it also refers and reveals to us or unveils to us God's program as we move through time, I guess. The last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, is preeminently the book of the kingdom of God in conflict with and victory over the kingdoms of the world. And the reason I say this is because sometimes I get frustrated because I go online and I view this person's video or I read that person's article or listen to that person's sermon about the end times. And what I find is they're, looking, they're really looking at everything that's happening in society and they're kind of taking that and comparing it to Scripture and saying this must be happening and this... Well, it could be. It could be. But what I'm saying is it comes to a point where I think maybe we lose sight of the fact that Revelation is about the person of Jesus Christ, the power that he is because of the power he wields, and the program that he has instituted since before creation. And what we're seeing in Revelation is literally the culmination of all of that. All of it. So, I would like to, this, to keep this in mind as we go through the book, that it is preeminently the book of the kingdom of God in conflict with and victory over all the kingdoms of this world. You know, this world doesn't know what's going to hit them when he returns. I mean, think about that. I'm sure you've thought about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. when, when he returns... This world, I mean, the Bible tells us in Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, 
um, Mark 13, Luke 21. The whole concept is the world is going to mourn. The world is going to be, they're going to do more than mourn. They're going to be like, whoa. I mean, imagine spending your life thinking God doesn't exist. It's just me and whatever I want to do in life. There is no God. And then all of a sudden, just before he returns, everything goes dark. And we'll get to that in Revelation. And then the sky splits like a scroll. And all of a sudden, the people in this world start seeing into another dimension. And they see literally Jesus Christ returning. The very God they said, they swore did not exist. And so I think our job as Christians, of course, while we're aware of the fact that what's happening in this world is not necessarily good, and in many ways it's bad, but it's also projected because of God's program, but our job is to do what? Is to keep on being lights in this increasingly dark world. So, anyway, that's... That's how I can sum up Revelation. And from there, we'll get into a little bit more detail. The person of Jesus Christ in Revelation 1.1. What is fascinating about this, this is the same person born on the earth at his first coming. And here he is, talking with John the Apostle. In his risen form, in his ascended form, and remember, this is the Apostle that he kept saying, the Apostle whom Jesus loved as if he didn't love anybody else. But we know what, they meant, what he meant by that. John was the only one who was able to recline with his head resting on Jesus' chest. And he was, in some ways, closer to Jesus than maybe some of the others were. He wasn't more loved. He was just a little bit closer. He is the Son of Man, possessing a full human nature. I feel like I'm in your way. Am I in your way? As long as you don't lean forward, we're good. Like, yeah, <laughs> now you're in my way. Now I'm in, okay. you, can, you can pull that corner out if you like. Yeah. He will always be human. He'll never not be human. <clears throat> Jesus is also fully divine. Will always be that. He is one with the Father. Always. He reveals God fully. Colossians tells us this. When people say to me, how do you know Jesus is God? He never said, I am God. He didn't, the Bible tells us in so many ways that He is God. Jesus tells us in so many ways that He is God. He reveals God in all of God's fullness. He will share the throne universally with the Father, ultimately. <clears throat> and Jesus is the eternal God. So Revelation reveals the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> It also reveals the power of Christ. He has personal power, inherent power, power that he already had. Uh, he wields power himself. He has acquired also power from the Father. He exercises all power of the Godhead. And he has power over all things, including material forces and objects. There's nothing Satan can do that does not need to be pre-approved or is permissible by God, Christ. He controls the physical universe. Peter tells us he holds all things together. They don't know what holds parts of an atom together. 
it should repel itself. They don't know what well, God does. He has power over angels, demons, and saints, spiritual entities, and authorities. He has the power to accomplish anything he desires. I was talking with a guy one time who did not believe necessarily that God has uh, control over people in all things because we have free will. He didn't believe that God could do such and such because that could be opposed to somebody's will. And the reality is, God can do anything He wants to do in spite of our so-called free will. Ezekiel 38 and 39 prove this perfectly, where God goes and thinks, He goes, God's basically telling him, one day some thoughts are going to come into your mind, and you're going to think these thoughts, and you're going to go, you know, I'm going to, yeah, yeah, the place over there with the unwalled villages, those people living securely, I, I think I'm going to go and attack them. So here's God saying to the prophet Ezekiel, this is what's going to happen to this guy, Gog, which is a title. These thoughts are just going to come into his mind. And because of his free will, he goes, Ooh, I like those thoughts. Those are good ideas. I think I'll do them. Mm -hmm. So the idea here is God does whatever God wants to do. Period. Mm -hmm. We are putty in His hands. And then the program of Jesus Christ to defeat and destroy Satan and sin. I wish it wasn't taking this long, though. Yeah. Do you ever feel yeah. that way? Yes. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just like what Mark was <clears throat> talking about today. It's like, we have never taken sin to the nth degree. We've never resisted it until the end. Until all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. We've never done that. No. Jesus did it every step of the way. As my one Bible college professor told us, Jesus was able not to sin, and he was not able to sin. So imagine that tension. Yeah. I can't imagine we have no problem saying that. No, 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 we don't. no we, we major really don't. in it. Yeah, well, that's it. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, it's easy. We're, I, I can do it. I do it every day. Mm -hmm. To pour out wrath on his enemies for their refusal to receive his grace. I was reading this really good article. It was on gotquestions.org. I don't know if you're familiar with that site. It's a very conservative biblical site. You can download the app. But anyway, the, the one of the questions, I'm not sure what led me to it, but does God still love people in hell? And the short answer is yes, he does. And I won't go into the details, but the reality is God still loves them, but his love for them is evidenced, unfortunately, in his wrath directed at them because of the way they've chosen to live. In a very real way, it's kind of like, when you discipline your children, yeah. you do it because you love them. Even though they're going to swear to you right now that you don't love them because you're angry. There's nothing about what you're saying or doing that makes them feel loved. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you love them, you want them to be corrected. So unfortunately, part of Jesus' program is to pour out wrath on his enemies, those that have resolutely stood against him. And we see that in Psalm 2 very clearly. And another portion of the program is to dwell among his people and experience intimate fellowship with them. Now, we'll 
we'll get a really, really good, we have a taste of this now, but we'll have a really good taste of this in the Millennial Kingdom, and then of course in eternity future, where it will be perfected and will never uh, stop. So in chapter 1, and, and again we've gone over this, the outline of Revelation, in chapter 1, what have you seen? He's basically telling John, and, and that's what Revelation is broken up into, really three sections, what, what you've seen uh, previously, what is now, John, and what will be. Th those are the three major breakdowns of the book of Revelation. What you've seen, what is now, and what is now includes the letter to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now what's interesting too about all these churches, and we talked about this before too, is that really this gives a picture. There is nothing in any of these churches, and there is everything in each of these churches that applies to the church today. Yeah. It's not just that it applied then like Ephesus um, was only, you know, it had, it had issues, and that was that church, this church. Taken as its whole, everything that applies to each one of these separate seven churches applies to church history, applies to churches today. We have the same issues, the same exact issues. And there's only one church where there was no rebuke, and which one was that? You remember? Philadelphia. There was no rebuke. Laodicea had nothing good. Yeah. There, there are churches yeah. and parts within Christendom that align closely with Laodicea. Other churches that align more closely with Philadelphia. Other churches, Thyatira, etc., etc. So the letter to the seven churches, I believe, are specific to those churches, but yet speak to the whole church of all church history mm -hmm. up to today. <clears throat> and then chapters 4 through 22 get into what's going to happen. Now, as I mentioned also, I think I mentioned this, we didn't dwell on this at all, but there are basically four ways to interpret Revelation. The historical, the preterist, the um, futurist, and the allegorical. Now, I, I'm not going to sit there and tell you which one you should go with. But what I have said is that, from my perspective, the one that makes the most sense to me is the futurist version. Can you explain? Just read this. It makes more sense. The allegorical or non-literal approach to the book of Revelation. This form of, a, of interpretation was offered by the Alexandrian school of theology in the 3rd and 4th centuries. And basically, it regards the entire Bible as extensive allegory to be interpreted in a non-literal sense. So just based on that alone, you can imagine, if they're going to look at the whole Bible and say, well, it's non-literal, everything's allegorical, you can imagine how confusing that would get. Mm -hmm. And it was extremely confusing. The allegorical interpretation of the Bible was later restricted largely, I said Constantine, I'm sorry, I meant, I meant to say Augustine, largely restricted to prophecy about the Millennial Kingdom, and that was done by Augustine uh, later on, who interpreted Revelation as a chronicle 
of spiritual conflict between God and Satan being fulfilled in the present church age. So, for the people who look at Revelation allegorically or non-literally, they look at the millennium as being the whole of the current church age, which started when Christ, uh, his life and death and ascension and all that, to today. That, to them, is the millennial kingdom that they believe is mentioned in Scripture, um, which is like Revelation 20. So everything that is happening right now in the present church age, that is the millennial kingdom as far as they're concerned. Right now. Right now. It's just, it's a conflict, good, bad, God, Satan, and Christians are caught in the middle, the world is caught in the middle, etc., etc. Then there's the preterist approach. You're familiar with the preterist approach, preterism? Okay. It is a more, I guess I didn't cover this then the first time. Shame on me. Well, I remember the word coming out, but I don't remember what it means. Okay, It's, it's a more respected approach. Um, and it is known as the preterist view, which regards Revelation as a symbolic picture of early church conflicts which have already been fulfilled. So when you talk to a preterist, and I've talked with a number of them, they will tell you that um, Jesus has already returned, and he did so spiritually, did that in AD 70 with the destruction of Israel, that's when Jesus came to judge Israel in A.D. 70, and he has been reigning ever since. That's essentially the belief. I, I've truncated it. They probably disagree with some of the stuff I said there, but what the way I truncated What denomination would... Pardon me? What denomination would... Protestant. By uh, which, which one? Um, well... It could be any of them, right? It could be. I mean, this is an individualistic... Right, world. right. Now... Roman Catholics have a largely allegorical approach, so the Catholics would fit more into the first one I mentioned because of Augustine. Right. That's the way they... But there are a lot of Protestants um, today, some Baptists, some Presbyterians, etc., etc., who would go We're with the Preterist approach. Yeah. Independent. We, we knew independent. a person who was independent who was yeah. a Preterist. Yeah, and then you have the historical approach. This was popular during the Middle Ages, it views Revelation, again, as a symbolic picture of the total church history of the present age between Christ's first and second coming. So they do believe that, that I think, that, they, that Jesus is coming again physically, so everything in between there is an historical approach, essentially. And it was, it was interesting because the view was advanced by Luther, uh, Isaac Newton, Eliot, a number of others, etc., etc. But... <laughs> the problem with it is you can talk to two people, you can talk to ten people who are of the historical approach, and they all have differing opinions on what something means. So there's Those are the folks that take the letters to the churches and tag them to some historical era of church history? No, because Ironside did that. Um... These are the people, let me, let me just say this, many have combined the historical interpretation with aspects of other forms of interpretation. You could be right. I mean, there's that possibility, Sam, that some of them do that. Um, but the big thing is that they deny a literal future millennium. Oh, okay. So, I don't. So are we you living, don't. Are we living in it now? 
according to them or allegorically symbolically okay so symbolically so you can see how the the first three are kind of similar i think it's safe to say most of us are probably in the futuristic approach to some extent i mean there's probably a little bit of variance here and there we believe that um that essentially chapters 4 through 22 deal with stuff that are yet future for the most part so it's historical like the people that would say like Oh, Napoleon was a form of the Antichrist. Exactly. Hitler was a form of the Antichrist. Exactly. Or in the preterist view, uh, Titus or mm -hmm. uh, Diocletian was the Antichrist at that time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, though, that we're probably altogether being futuristic in the sense that this stuff is still coming down the road. Right. Where we might agree or disagree is on certain events and how they happen and where they happen, and that's perfectly okay. Because we don't know. Because you don't know. We don't know. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've said this before, Tony, but you weren't here um, in the first part. You know, because I tend to be a pre-trib rapturist. I know some of you lean toward mid-trib or post-trib. As far as I'm concerned, it's perfectly okay. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. It doesn't. To me, it doesn't matter. But what really bugs me is when I hear a pastor or a preacher say, we're so close. We're so close to the rapture. We're so, and I look at that and I go, what do you mean we're so close? Yes, okay, today's a new day, we're one day closer, but what are you, what are you doing? I, I don't understand that mentality because what it does is it sets people up for this idea that any moment, and yeah, we should live that way, any moment, I could die, yeah. I could stop breathing. What, what Mark was describing today was perfect, oh, yeah. you know? I think that's true. That's the way I want to go. Yeah. Yes. I don't want to go in a horrifying car accident where I'm mangled and breathing. And, uh. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. My thing is, I've, and I've told them this before, I'm going to die peacefully in my sleep with my hair done and my makeup on. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just, I, I just think that that would be wonderful. Yeah, it would. <laughs> I, I can't imagine it though, you know, all of a sudden you're taking your, you exhale, you're gone. And then you're there. And like Mark said, wait. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, I can't imagine it. So anyway, that, that's one of my pet peeves. When we talk about the pre-trib, it, it is the whole event, whether it's pre-mid or post, is such a small, small, small thing. The reality is we're all looking forward to what? Jesus Being with Christ yeah. 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 at some point. Right, right. Amen. Whether we die and get there, whether the rapture takes us, whether we live through un told terrible tribulation and does it really matter no no, no, no sense of worry about it because god's yeah and, he's gonna and do is, what he's gonna do well and, yes. and is god gonna leave us during those times we know he's not so it, it, that alone should make it a little bit easier so no, what we'll take be more concerned about us leaving him exactly yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. exactly exactly and and that's part of that thing the the message to the churches those people yeah. were christians yeah and they, some of them had left their first love. Why? Because it's like Mark said this morning. I'll keep going back to what he said. Some of those churches were not experiencing any persecution whatsoever. Yeah. None by that point. And, you know, when you experience persecution, think of the people, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are in China or other Iran. places of the world. Yeah. 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 Nigeria. Oh, my God. Yes. I, yeah. yeah. And, and think about the fact that they get up every day and go, will I be dead before this day is out? 
You know, I mean, that's and, hard to wrap your mind around. It is. Uh, it is very hard. That persecution creates growth in the church. I know. I know. It does. I've always said none of us improve during the good times. No, we only right. improve when we get knocked on our knees. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I've never learned anything on the mountain. No, it's always just that the breeze is yes. Yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely true. I mean, whether it's cancer or child's death or whatever it might be, that's when you learn. You start figuring yeah. out, you know. Yeah, real we quick. We don't really have a whole lot of control over anything, but the good Lord does. Yeah, right. because at that point you are what? Forced, like you said, to your knees. Mm -hmm. When life's good, I got it, God. Yeah, yeah I got it. Cool. I'm Thank you. <laughs> so what will take place is found in Revelation chapters 4 through 22. And we see in, I'm going over this kind of quickly, but the vision of the heavenly throne is in chapter 4. The seven-sealed scroll is in chapter 5. And we talked about the seven-sealed scroll most likely being the title deed to the earth. And it was from the seven-sealed scroll that the tribulation comes forth. And so um, that's what we're going to start to get into. The opening of the six seals and the time of the divine wrath is in chapter 6. Those who will be saved in the great tribulation is multitudes and multitudes. We just talked about persecution. The, the persecution during the Great Tribulation will be so intense that there will be people, multitudes, who are martyred for the faith. Martyred. And they will be saved. Um, I saw a picture of, not long ago, two men, two young men in Iran being hung because they were Christians. And the picture was of them before they were being hung. And the, both of them were just smiling, ear to ear, because they were like, I'm I dying. Get, get out of here. Yeah, yeah, and I'm dying because of my love for my Savior, and I'm going to see Him. Just a few minutes, I'm going to see Him. Yeah. I mean, that, that reality was, can you imagine? So those who will be saved during the Great Tribulation, and then there's the opening of the seventh seal and the introduction of the seven trumpets, chapters 8 and 9, which is what we're going to start getting into tonight. And then the mighty angel and the little scroll, chapter 10. That's an interesting chapter. If you haven't read it, you might want to read it before next week. And then the two witnesses, we're familiar with those guys. We don't 100% know who they are. Some people think they're Moses and Elijah, kind of like resurrected or sent back to earth. Others believe that they are fulfilling a similar role that Moses and Elijah fulfilled on earth. The soundings of the seventh trumpet is 11, 15, and 19, and then seven great personages of the end times, 12 through 15. So that's part of this outline. Um, oh yeah, and then continued. Uh, chapter 16, Bulls of Divine Wrath. The fall of Babylon, 17 and 18. We'll get into this a little bit more, but I intimated before that some commentators believe this is a not a physical place so much as it's a spiritual undercurrent. I tend to think it's both. I could yeah. be totally wrong about that. But I know that uh, Saddam Hussein was trying to rebuild Babylon. They've got a lot of it uncovered. Um, uh, they're actually guiding, have guide tours, guided tours through parts of it. They found the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. They found other things of Babylon. So I think it's a possibility the city in some form could be resurrected. 
if nothing else, certainly it's a system. So you mean you can go to Iraq and Iraq, yes, and um, yes, go on a guided tour of the what they've uncovered of Babylon. I wonder how many people do that. I don't know. A lot. I just I think a lot. It's just interesting. But you're just talking about the city of Babylon and these. I know. I just saw this thing where uh, Ben Salman in Saudi Arabia is for the World Economic Forum. He's like spending hundreds of billions of dollars to build something called the Wall, which is basically this wall, hundreds of feet high through the middle of the desert. Oh, it's going to have... And it's a self-contained... City. And you live there, and they'll deliver everything oh, to yeah. you, and you live in yeah, this inside the wall. Yeah. I saw that You video. can't get out. Yeah, you yeah. can't get out, but yeah. you'll have everything you need. That's yeah. Right. My daughter Sounds thought... Sounds like oh, the great city that you're supposed to get out of. No, 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 no. No, you're it's prison. That's it. It's prison. Get everything you need in prison, too. This is the one in California. So everything is wonderful, and they want battery-operated cars. like, you eat, eat, eat. What are you thinking? Listen, listen. Yeah, we won't go there. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, right, right. 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 Well, the thing, too, about um, Babylon is when Saddam Hussein was alive, he built a palace above the ruins, overlooking the ruins, and he dubbed himself um, Saddam Hussein's son of Nebuchadnezzar. That was that was officially one part of his title, so it's really interesting. Hmm. So he was really doing his best to rebuild that. Songs of Hallelujah in Heaven, nineteen one to ten, Second Coming of Christ. Yay. This always fascinates me. Sylvia and I were talking about this before, and we'll get into this later. But you remember when Jesus was talking to his apostles, uh, some of the disciples, and he said, he he basically asked them, he goes, Well, what is it to you? If some standing here don't die until they see the Son of Man coming in all his glory. And that was just before the transfiguration, right? And so, of course, they had no answer. But they thought, does that mean somebody's going to live forever? You know how they thought. And then shortly thereafter, the uh, transfiguration happened. But I also think that when we get here, he was talking specifically about John the Apostle. Because he knew that John the Apostle would be dictated to the book of Revelation and he would see all these glorious visions and he would literally see Jesus at the end of the age physically returning Mm -hmm. to this earth with all the Christians behind him. And of course, by the way, we were there. We, we, can you imagine? I mean, it's kind of hard. It's kind of like, he saw us. It's kind (laughs) of like back to the future. It's like John was there watching Jesus and every Christian from all ages following Christ to return to the earth. So I really think that's what Jesus was ultimately referring to as as well as the transfiguration. But imagine what John saw. He saw Jesus and he was also in that crowd on those horses coming back and so were we. I find that fascinating. But we'll get into this one when we get there. The second coming of Christ. Oh, (laughs) so Dave's stomach was growling. I I leaned up and I... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to Don't break me out from I'm her old dog. Sometimes Buster's stomach does that. <laughs> the millennial reign of Christ, of course, happens immediately. The, the work begins to set up the millennial kingdom uh, as soon as Jesus returns. I cannot imagine what that's going to be like. There's so much stuff that goes into that. Um, Jesus starts. And it's, it's Old Testament too. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, what's fascinating. Oh, 
just if you read through Ezekiel, you read through Daniel, you read through Joel, Hosea, Amos, I mean, all of those books. People today don't like to read the Old Testament, but it's like, oh you're missing so much. Yeah. You're missing yeah, so much. You know, I, I am in the process of reading through the Old Testament for the first Good. time. Okay. And it's just amazing to me to some of the things, you know, a while back we said, oh, they discovered these bones of this giant race of people. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's right there. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. If they destroyed, the Jews destroyed uh, two different tribes of yeah. giants. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. yeah. telling you. Yeah. And so Goliath was not an anomaly. He was a part of that tribe. Exactly. Yeah. It, does, it does not say in Hebrew in the original text in Genesis, sons of Seth and daughters of Cain. Oh, no. That's not what it says. It's been a high Elohim means what it means. Angels yeah. say it. Sons yeah. of God, yeah. and those usually refer to beings not coming from Adam. <coughs> exactly. Adam would exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you've ever read, not that these are, um, I don't recommend them because they're supposedly uh, authoritative as scripture. They're not. But if you ever read books like, um, uh, well, there was one, the Book of Enoch, and then the Book of Enoch, yeah. the Book of Jubilee, hey. some of those books. Those are interesting books because they tend to shed light on the way people thought way back then. I'm not yeah. saying they're. They're not scripture, they're not authoritative, but they're interesting in and of themselves. Because and Jude they, refers to yeah. the book of Enoch. Jude refers yeah, to the book yeah. of Enoch, and so yeah. does Peter. The, the, the early church in the second temple believed in the basic story behind Enoch, yeah. but there's something wrong with the scripture, the reason it's not. It got kicked out. Yeah, yeah, right, it, right. Right. yeah. It's interesting. It but interesting. we'll get into some of that. Okay, so then we've got the millennial reign of Christ in the chapter 20. The judgment of the great white throne, which is basically where those who have refused God's grace for their entire lives are being explained why, and I don't think it's going to require much explanation, why they're going to the lake of fire. Hell right now is just a holding place because eventually hell will be thrown into the lake of fire as well. And then we've got the new heaven and the new earth where all things are new. So if you look at Genesis and you take Revelation, basically what we've got is one huge parenthesis. Garden of Eden was supposed to have been this yeah. and continue on like this forever, but we know what happened. And so God has been at work regaining control of what was stolen and and putting in place his plan of salvation for those who will come to him as, as he draws them and who will enjoy this. That's the whole purpose of the whole plan of salvation. So we're getting to a point ultimately where there's Garden of Eden Part 2, which will go on forever, and there will never be any interruption with sin or anything else. So, this, is, this is really a deep thought, but... We like deep thoughts. Okay. He just... I mean, I know God knows everything, so right. I can't help but feel like it's like, you know what, I'm ready to get rid of Satan and the angels, get them where they're going. So the whole Garden of Eden, knowing that there was going to be a fall, no, I mean, all this known, because mm -hmm. he has foreknowledge, I mean, he knows right. what's going to happen. It's like, okay, all this is, you know, sun dying on the cross, I mean, the whole thing from the creation, because Jesus was before the creation, right. but it's like God saying, okay, well, we're going to, we're going to let this roll on out. This is it. And then, yeah. then you get to the, the end. But I mean, he, he knew yeah. that yeah. he was going to fall. I mean, he knew so that, so that he could get the, the end goal 
I'm guessing, I mean, besides our salvation, although theoretically we had that at the beginning, before right. the fall, but to get rid of Satan and the angels. Yeah, and to get rid of, ultimately, what God has allowed is ultimately for one purpose, to allow evil to go to the end of itself, mm -hmm. and then it's totally vanquished. If you stop, the Bible tells us that before he made anything, before creation, mm -hmm. within the counsel of God, everything had already been decided. Right, right. Before he made anything. Right. So, yeah, it is fascinating. So John is called up into the throne room in Revelation 4. The Lamb takes the seven... Did we already go through this? No. Mm -hmm. Kind of. Yeah, you're just reviewing it. The I mean, first seal, conqueror, antichrist. We went through that. Revelation 6. Second seal, conflict on earth. Third seal, scarcity on earth. Now, what I mentioned, too, was last time we were together, I think, was it almost seems like these three things here, death on earth, scarcity on earth, conflict on earth, it almost seems like, even though these are officially inside the tribulation, it's almost like they're casting a shadow from the tribulation to us now. We're starting to see, I mean, look around the earth. Conflict's everywhere. Conflict yeah. is everywhere. And this stupidity, I'm going to call it that, with the Ukraine and Russia and everything, to me, it just seems so labored and forced. Uh -huh. but they're, Bunch they're, of money laundering. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. And, and they're just trying to keep things going. But also, because of COVID uh, and breaking of the supply chain, now we're starting to experience a good it's deal good. of scarcity. Uh -huh. and we're gonna, it's going to get worse, from mm -hmm. what I understand. And then, because of this, we're going to start seeing this. And, you know, so it's almost like, I'm not saying we're in the tribulation, because we haven't seen this person yet, as far as I know. Mm -hmm. person could very well be here. Oh, yeah. Probably, he probably is. is. I think he probably is, too. But we don't know who that right. is. He hadn't risen to his. Right. So right. there's no official, we'll know this happens when, when this individual is able to broker a deal with Israel, and surrounding Arab nations, according to Daniel 9, 24 to 27. But until that happens, the tribulation hasn't started because Israel has not signed on the dotted line. And as soon as they sign on the dotted line with this guy, they're literally signing a deal with the devil. And that's what breaks the tribulation open. But it just seems like these three things right here, they're just kind of casting a shadow mm -hmm. into our day and age. So, you know... Well, it's amazing that, to me, that... All of these leaders are, and, and the media are predicting all of these things. We haven't seen scarcity. No, but they're predicting it. That's because they've got it's plenty. It's been done on purpose to get, right. to get rid of fossil fuels right. and, and, and slave everybody and do away with the middle class and get right. people convinced. Well, they want this one yeah, world that's, government. Yeah. Right. That's exactly yeah. uh, and, To get people completely you know, dependent the, on government and unable to resist them. to get there. Yeah. The problem is America's in the way. Well, now, that, that is but, but Furthermore, the American people that, that's the yeah. thing. Yeah. Those yeah. Are, it's, you know, it's like the Ukrainian so, people. Yeah. I, I don't know what the plan is. is. Certainly they have one. I'm sure they do. Uh, uh, I can give class I mean, a call they, later. <laughs> well, they've installed the a, first, mm -hmm. a dummy yeah. uh, into the presidency. Two dummies, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a dummy and a co-dummy. Yeah. A vice dummy. 
<laughs> I will tell you that one of our, our wheat suppliers, because you know we buy a lot of wheat with yes. our own bread, one of our wheat suppliers said that there would be no hard white wheat, organic or right. otherwise, available because of the drought. I believe it. You see, and, that's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. We're seeing, we're not really seeing uh, too much of a scarcity now, although when Sylvia and I go to the store, I, I'm very aware of... Right. Open shelf space yeah, and all that never stuff. Never have seen that until the last right. couple of years. And well, like you can tell. Yesterday, there were whole, whole refrigerated yeah. sections that they had closed off. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. The Costco in Sharpsburg, it was just boom mm -hmm. Did you ever hear the story about when Khrushchev came to the United States and they took him through a grocery store? Yeah, he thought it was a scam. He thought it was a. The, the, uh, whoever was taken through there, that, that that was just a setup. Yeah, wow. Oh, no, he I thought it was a setup. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was Khrushchev, you said? Khrushchev. Wow. I've never seen uh, the movie uh, Tip the Spear or yeah. the Spear. Mm -mm. Into the Spear. Into the Spear. Yeah. Yeah, and they take the guy from the Amazon jungle into right. a modern grocery store. Right. Oh, I've probably and, read it and, or read about it. And it's just an, an amazing. It's a true story. Yeah. yeah. I imagine. I imagine that would be a shock. Tip the Spear. Tip the Spear. In, into the Spear. Yeah. The in, end yeah. of the Spear. That, that, that would be a shock. Well, the fifth seal is the cry of the martyrs, and then the sixth seal, cosmic disturbances. So we're not there yet. So this is a chart I made that kind of shows them all. So we've got the conquest of the Antichrist, the first horseman, uh, first world war of the tribulation. So, you know, I mean, depending on when all this stuff happens, what they're doing right now with Ukraine, supposedly that's World War III. If this guy steps up and does his thing, then that would actually become World War III. If this peters out to nothing and he doesn't come onto the scene officially, then it'll be something else. But we've got the First World War, the Second Horseman, worldwide famine. Famine always follows wars. You know that as well as I do. And lots of death because of war and famine. And then pestilence, starvation, death, all kinds. And then persecution and martyrdom of post-rapture saints. I put post-rapture because I believe the tribulation um, starts, but the rapture happens here. It could be in the mid, it could be in the end, whatever. There are going to be major martyrdoms of all believe many, 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 multitudes of believers. John says the, multi the numbers were so big, you couldn't count. So that's going to happen. And then we've got general convulsions throughout nature, and a second blackout, which is really interesting. Can you imagine with the lights out? The lights out. That would be weird. And then the seventh seal opens, and the seventh seal contains the uh, trumpet judgments, all of them. So it actually contains everything, the seventh seal and the seventh bowls eventually. Yeah. And this is the way it looks. So we've got Antichrist, Anarchy, Famine, Quarter Slain, that's a quarter of the world's population slain. Martyrs, earthquake, and then the trumpets, which are these. <laughs> Trees burn, sea of blood, rivers, sun dark, abyss open, army, and then the seventh trumpet is all the vials coming out, and those are the vials. We'll go into each one a little bit more in detail. And then we've got Revelation 7, which is 12,000 from each Jewish tribe, multitudes killed from great tribulation. Now, I know that some people believe this. They take this allegorically when you get here. And I do not, because it's very, very specific yeah. 
And if you look starting with 7.5, Revelation 7.5, it talks about from the tribe of Judah, 12,000. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. So I tend to take those literally just as the text says. God is sealing 144,000 Jewish individuals to be evangelists to the world. And they will be extremely good at it. They will be extremely good. Because the people he's going to seal are more likely Orthodox Jews and are very well steeped in the Hebrew Scriptures. Mm -hmm. And so, just like with Paul, as soon as he opens his eyes and turns just that direction Paul needed, all of a sudden the scales fell from his eyes and he realized... Everything that he understood about the Hebrew Scriptures pointed to Jesus, whereas before he was totally antagonistic to the church. And because of the makeup of him as a Jew and his orthodoxy, nothing, nothing made him falter. And these people are going to be the same way. So imagine 144,000 Pauls. They're not apostles, but imagine them with that background, that knowledge, and God basically turns the light on, and they're like, Oh, I believe that's an exact number too. I, yeah, I really have. I, I get tired of the allegorical stuff. It's like lacking faith in God. It's yeah, like, well, yeah. why, why, why? If 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 God told you that Sarah had a baby at ninety, why do you, why do you think that He can't make exactly hundred forty thousand? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Why does it have to be allegorical? I mean, right. He's done so many things literally. Yes. You know, to show. Yeah, there there are some things in Revelation where I, I think it's best to take it literally, unless the text tells you otherwise? Like, for right. instance, you were mentioning in, uh, is it Revelation 12? Yes. The sun and the moon? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The, what's really interesting, when we get into that, that you can, you can be tempted to take that allegorically, but at the same time, there's biblical understanding of what that means, which we'll get into later. But anyway, so hold that thought. But, multitudes killed from the Great Tribulation. I don't know how much further you want to go today. I don't know what slide I'm on. Well, we'll kind of wrap up here. So, opening of the seventh seal, there's a very important event. This is accompanied by 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Again, there's no reason to take this other than literally. For half an hour. Why? Why? Why half hour? Because it builds up the suspense. It's the lull before the storm. You've all gone probably to a symphony or a play or something. And usually what happens before the production starts, the lights go off, any music that was playing as prelude is stopped, and what does it do? Immediately you look forward and you think, okay, it's going to start any minute now. Yeah, it gets your attention. That's the purpose of this. It is designed to get the world's attention. People are going to go, wow, do you hear that? No, I don't hear anything. That's what I mean. You don't hear anything. There's nothing. There's silence. Absolute silence. Hmm. So the seventh seal opens and reveals the coming seven trumpet judgments, which, again, I don't know what John saw. We don't know. We just don't know. Obviously, I mean, he saw something which he interpreted and understood um, that they were trumpet judgments, and we know that he saw the angels had trumpets and they blew them, and then something happened. So that's why he calls them trumpet judgments. So there's this portrayal of fanfare, procession, pageantry in heaven. Everything is done in a very orderly, 
orderly fashion according to God's determination, according to God's will, according to his timing. So everything is done that way. The seventh seal includes all of the events, literally, all of these events, because ultimately when the seventh seal opens, the seven trumpets come out, then the seven bowls come out, and then after that, Jesus returns. So John sees seven trumpets being given to seven angels before the throne. The trumpets are used to announce God's work. Jews are extremely familiar with trumpets, even today. Orthodox Jews, they understand the shofar, the trumpet. They understand in the Hebrew Scriptures how often they were used to gather people together for worship, gather together people for battle, gather together for all kinds of things. They understood Mm -hmm. that trumpets were very important in God's work. And they play a major role in God dealing with his people. This is interesting. An angel, verse 5, verse 5 here, mm-hmm. uh, sorry, chapter I read, eight. then the angel Thank took you. the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightning, and an earthquake. Right, so this is telling the world, look out, something terrible is coming your way. So here's this angel. Again, this is pageantry. He took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, threw it on the earth, and there were crashes of thunder, roaring, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. So if that didn't get people's attention on the earth, nothing will. And it did. It will. All right. Do you want me to keep going, or should I stop here? What would you like? Is that okay with everybody? Yeah, okay. Yeah. With us. Buster, is that okay with you? <laughs> Buster's like, I'm not coming in. <laughs> yeah, he's like, there's too many people in here. All right, so God has sent judgment to the earth with the opening of the first trumpet. Let's look at Revelation 8. Have that open, would you? Because we're now moving on to verse 6 in Revelation chapter 8. And so now the seven angels holding the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel, verse 7, blew his trumpet, and there was hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was thrown at the earth, so that a third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. All the green grass. A third of this, yeah. All the green grass was burned up, a third of the trees, and a third of the earth. It's all gone. So I have here a sulfur rain, like Sodom and Gomorrah. So you wonder if that was what burned. Say what now? It was like a sulfur rain. Where are you? Well, I just have this in my notes. Oh, in your notes. Yeah, I must have gotten it from maybe Constable or someone. Okay. That that was what burned the grass up. Okay. Well, you know, if you go to where um, Sodom and Gomorrah was believed to have been, if you go there today. Still sulfur. It, yeah, you, you dig up a shovel full of stuff right there and drop a match on it, it'll ignite. Because hmm. mm-hmm. it's, it's got tons of sulfur in it. So the second trumpet here, we've seen what happens now. A third of the earth, a third of the trees, all of the green grass was burned up. All of it. And then the second trumpet. 
the second angel blew his trumpet, verse 8, and something like a great mountain of burning fire was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea became blood, and a third of the creatures living in the sea died, and a third of the ships were completely destroyed. Now, I don't know what this is. Could it, it could be an asteroid. could be a meteorite. could be something. Yeah. It is something. Yeah. And we know that when this gets tossed into the ocean, into the sea, a third of the oceans become blood. Conservative scholars believe that the... Most conservative scholars believe that the oceans actually will become blood because of all the death that occurs. But it's also possible that an algae is created that looks blood, blood red. Either one. But something unnatural is happening to the waters. And because of that, a third of the sea became blood. And then in verse 9, a third of the creatures living in the sea died. And a third of the ships were completely destroyed. So, I mean, imagine. This is an interesting factoid. As of January 1981, 24,867 merchant ships were registered in the world. So just under 25,000. A third of them would represent 8,289 of them. Can you imagine if, you know, just over 8,200 ships were instantly destroyed? All their cargo, all the people on them, everything was gone. And what that would do to the world's economy. But we're talking about... I'm not sure, honestly, when I look at this, how the world's economy is going to continue moving yeah. anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it will. I mean, how can it? I mean, it, it's going to be really... These judgments are not meant to just irritate people. Right. They're meant to send a message and destroy mm -hmm. what they hold dear. And what do they hold most dear? The system of Babylon, their, mm -hmm. their livelihood, their making money right. off yeah. of whatever. And then the third trumpet. Then the third trumpet sounds. Verse 10, And a huge star, burning like a torch, fell from the sky. It landed on the third of the rivers and the springs of water. So this is kind of like the, the second one there. In the second trumpet, we've got this great mountain that comes down and lands into the sea, and a third of the sea becomes blood. Here in verse 10, we've got this huge star burning and it lands and it destroys it lands in the rivers and the springs of waters and this is interesting because it says this is named wormwood that's the name of the star and wormwood as i'm sure you know is based uh it, it's seen in deuteronomy 29:18, and it literally means bitter do you remember this situation mm -hmm. where um the people had sinned and so they had to they were forced to drink and then um, many of them got sick and died, and then God sent the, uh, the, the he changed things around for them. He, he saved them from it because they cried out to him. But wormwood was something that made them sick or bitter. Wormwood is an interesting, it's an interesting plant. It has the capabilities of sickening or killing people. Not everybody. Some people are, are not affected by it, but others are. So that's what this is called. And so named for a bitter herb that was fatal. And there's some references. It's a symbol of divine punishment. It's, it's funny how often it was used in Scripture. 
<clears throat> and then Exodus 15 is the part I was talking about where God gave the rebellious Israelites to drink in the wilderness. Make them drink it. Make them drink it. Also similar to the first Egyptian plague, Exodus 7.21. So darkness is connected with the fourth one, verse 12. Then the fourth angel blew his trumpet, a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. There was no light for a third of the day, and for a third of the night likewise. Now, what, what it's not telling us here is the obvious reaction Imagine what would happen if the sun was dimmed by a third. Things wouldn't grow. Excuse me? Things would not grow. Oh, life would change immensely on this planet. But it's implied in what's discussed there. Because if you dim the sun, it will have an, an absolutely terrible effect on this world. And you know, something like an asteroid strike or um, a volcano hmm. could blot out. Would absolutely sure. have that effect. Yes. Well, the exactly. climate would... Well, you would I go mean, back to the ice age if you lost... That's a good point. I yep. mean, that's... They said the uh, mini ice age in, what, 1400 <laughs> okay. was from a, a volcano eruption that yeah. put so much yes. ash into the air that it caused the mini ice age. Yes. And that's, that's wow. one of the things they were saying. It could be possibly due to a partial eclipse or even pollution, and the pollution from a volcano. Mm -hmm. Or, I mean, look at um, when Mount they St. had... Mount St. Helens. When Mount St. Helens. When oh, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. I mean, you could... The satellite view was, I mean, it was just this Unreal. humongous cloud of ash. I mean, yeah. And look at the Dust Bowl. The world. Yeah, the yeah. Dust, the dust bowl. bowl. It was so dark. People living during the Dust Bowl in where it was happening lived as if it was night for, mm -hmm. for days on end. Mm -hmm. Days on end. So we don't know if God is going to reduce the intensity of the light or if there is going to be an eclipse or pollution from volcanic ash or anything else is going to dim things. Now, if God were to reduce the intensity of light from the sun, the moon, the stars, then, then the earth would have a major problem. If it's just going to be this, there's still a problem, but life wouldn't go extinct. So. Well, I'll throw this out there, just and ahead. skipping ahead, but um, later on when you get to the, the bowls of wrath, one of the things is that the sun scorches the people on the earth. Mm -hmm. So yeah. probably, probably, don't know, it's temporary. Like the oh, pollution yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Because if, if, yeah. Anyway, that's my philosophy on it. That's, that's a good philosophy. Okay. Okay, so the reduction in the light and temperature would have a devastating effect to something. At the very least, you're going to have a hard time growing food mm -hmm. for however long this lasts. Um, announcement of three woes. We're almost done here. Mm -hmm. So we see this happening. Then I looked, verse 13, and I heard an eagle flying directly overhead, proclaiming with a loud voice, Whoa, whoa, woe to those who live on the earth because of the remaining sounds of the trumpets of the three angels who are about to blow them. So if things weren't bad enough, this angel comes, or excuse me, this eagle, some commentators believe yeah. it was an, an angel. I'm going to, I don't know, I've always liked C.S. Lewis writing Chronicles of Narnia, so I, I'm going to say it was an eagle that had the ability to speak, um, which I don't think is far-fetched because who knows? There was a donkey that could speak. Yeah, there was a donkey. Yeah, so I mean, there's so no reason we, we can't take that. Yeah, yeah.
literally, but anyway, something flies through the air. And the reason eagles are extremely fast, as you know. So anyway, um, they're extremely speedy in their wings and their flight. So its job is to fly through the earth and warn everybody about what's coming. And it does that. And, uh, whoops. This judgment is probably in partial response to the tribulation saints' prayers. You know, the ones who were found under the altar, and they said, how long, O Lord? Mm -hmm. And Christ said, just relax a little bit longer. It's in chapter 6, verse 10. Uh, I guess I repeated myself. Okay, we are done with that. Any questions, comments? I guess this is... Her brain is a little bit overwhelmed. Oh, yeah. It's a lot. So is mine. Every time I... I mean, this isn't the first time I've taught Revelation. And each time I, I teach it or study it, you not only learn new things, but then you realize it's, it's hard to be dogmatic on. You know? You know, you just... There's so many... I, I've come to the conclusion that God has told us the barest of necessities... Um, of what we can know and understand, but there's so much he hasn't told us mm -hmm. that would really fill in the blanks. But as time goes on, it's like it's like the angel told Daniel, seal up the vision in the book. As the time goes on, the people at that time will have more understanding. So if we're living in this day and age right now, then I think as time goes on, we're going to have increased wisdom and discernment about what's happening, what our response should be, etc. Well, it goes hand in hand with, you know, the end times will be an increase in knowledge. Yeah. Well, we see an increase in knowledge, you know, with the World Wide Web and the Internet. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You've got knowledge. Everybody, I mean, you've got knowledge at yeah. your fingertips. You know what's so funny, though? We've got all this increased knowledge, right? But it amazes me how much people don't seem to know. Like, for instance, we're it's, talking about... It's Babylon. A, it's diff like the, the confusion. Everybody's... Right, right. Yeah, because information yeah. overload. Well, yeah. it is, but it's almost like when they become too dependent on technology. We were talking um, with someone we know who was concerned because um, his debit card was compromised, so he needed a new one. So he wasn't sure how he was going to pay for things until he got his new debit card. And you just go, do you have cash in the bank? What I'm saying is, I'm not yeah. being sarcastic, just but what I'm saying bank. is people, we're not used yeah. to thinking right. about carrying cash, paying for things in check. We're just used to, oh, here's my uh, code, here's my debit card, here's this, here's that. It is so convenient we have forgotten. We have forgotten. That yeah. Most folks can't count change. Right. They can't count yeah. change well, back. Well, that's why you're going to have to have it in you know, a... Thing under your skin. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to be fine. getting mine tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing I'm not. I'm going to hold something in my hand. You know, there's all of this. Nobody's going to hit the delete button. And is that still on? You can turn that off. You sure? Can I? Let me ask you a question. Okay. Revelation is so. It's complicated. It is. It's complex, definitely. It very, very much so is, and I'm not a very complex person. Right. I, Tend to be, I like things. So, I, I, you know, the kiss. Keep it simple. Keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. And <laughs> but, and I do understand this, but I under I understand a little of it. Right. But in my simple way of thinking, 
I'm going to continue to worship Jesus. Absolutely. I'm going to continue to study His Word, even though I don't understand all this. Yep. When I start, if I start to see any of this, I'm not going to try to understand it. I'm going to hold on to my faith. And so, I mean, I've always been of the mind that Revelation was, it was important. It but is. it wasn't important enough for me to understand it all as long as I worship Jesus and that He is my Savior. Right. And I always understand that. So I'm going to end up where He wants me to be. Right, right. See, here's, here's the problem, and I kind of tried to intimate this beforehand. I think it's easy to get so caught up in the book of Revelation mm -hmm. that you start getting really bogged down with all the minutiae, and it, affects, it can affect you negatively. Let's face it, right. it can if you're not understanding the whole picture. So the whole picture that I try to keep in mind is Revelation is the person of Christ, the power of Christ, the program of Christ.